Welcome to the Scalar Learning Podcast, your central hub for all things related to education. Join us every episode for the most up-to-date tips and strategies on how to maximize student potential. Sit back, listen, and enjoy. What's up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the Scale It Learning Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Huzaifa, and it is Sunday, broadcasting on a Sunday, one of my favorite days of the week. Got some tutoring going on a little later today, and we'll be working on the music video again today about the quadratic formula, which I can't wait to show everybody. I can't wait to release. It's coming out really nicely. Super excited about that. But we're not going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about the brain today. And not just the brain in general, but we're going to talk very particularly about your brain on math. Okay, so what am I talking about? I just came across an article that is super cool, and it's on Gizmodo. And it says these are the four stages of your brain on math, and it's all about. It's based on a New York Times article, which is based on a study. We're going to talk about all three different articles. I'm going to read from them, but the idea is that what scientists have done at Carnegie Mellon University is they have tried to figure out what exactly is what's going on when you're actually trying to solve a math problem. Why are they doing that? They believe, rightfully so, that by unearthing the particular mechanisms that are occurring whenever you're, you're deep in thought, working at analyzing, trying to solve something, whatever is happening, if it, if it can be understood, then we can use that information, we can use that knowledge to modify instruction techniques and modify the way that math is taught and to optimize it and to optimize comprehension. So I think this is this is such a cool idea and hopefully it will have a lot of really great applications. It seems as though it's still in the early stages as far as figuring out exactly what's going on, how to apply it will be another matter, but such a cool idea in general. So first what I wanna do is th- this comes from a study called the, the paper in psychological science called Hidden Stages of Cognition revealed in patterns of brain activation. So I'm going to read from the abstract just to give you a general idea of what they're talking about or what the study is all about. To advance cognitive theory, researchers must be able to parse the performance of a task into its significant mental stages. So that's what this is all about, breaking it down, breaking down what the thought processes are when you're going through math, a math problem. In this article, we describe a new method that uses functional MRI brain activation to identify when participants are engaged in different cognitive stages on individual trials. The method combines multivoxel pattern analysis, not sure what that is, to identify cognitive stages and hidden semi-Markov models to identify their durations. This method applied to a problem-solving task identified four distinct stages. We're going to talk about the the stages when I read the New York Times article. 
We examined whether these stages corresponded to their ascribed functions by testing whether they are affected by appropriate factors. So they modify the problems, they do different things and see how that affects the these four stages, which I'll talk about briefly, like, oh, does it make one stage longer if we do this? Does you know, how, do, how are things modified? So here I'm going to jump to the New York Times article now that discusses in a, in a laconic way the the study because of course when you re actually read these papers they're long they include a lot of data they're not it's not friendly to common folks who aren't looking at you know who don't want to really get into the nitty-gritty so what the New York Times has done is they've made a very nice synopsis of the study and the article is titled by Benedict Carey what your brain looks like when it solves a math problem so now let's read from the article. Solving a hairy math problem might send a shudder of exultation along your spinal cord, but scientists have historically struggled to deconstruct the exact mental alchemy that occurs when the brain successfully leaps the gap from, say what, to aha, or the oh moment. You know, it's such a cool thing when you hear a student be like, oh, oh now I get it. Now, using an innovative combination of brain imaging analyses, researchers have captured four fleeting stages of creative thinking in math. In a paper published in Psychological, uh, Psychological Science, a team led by John R. Anderson, a professor of psychology and computer science at Carnegie Mellon, demonstrated a method for reconstructing how the brain moves from understanding a problem to solving it, including the time the brain spends in each stage. The imaging analysis found four stages in all, encoding, which is like downloading, planning, strategizing, solving, actually performing the math, and responding, so typing out the answer. Quote, I'm very happy with the way the study worked out, and I think this precision is about the limit of what we can do with the brain imaging tools available. To capture these quicksilver mental, quick silver mental operations, the team first taught 80 men and women how to interpret a set of math symbols and equations they had not seen before. The underlying math itself wasn't difficult, mostly addition and subtraction, but manipulating the newly learned symbols required some thinking. So this is probably akin to, if you look at the SAT or the ACT math problems, what they have is, I, I title these types of problems called new operations, where they will use, let's say, a, I'm trying to look at, like a dollar sign. Like they'll take the dollar sign and they'll ascribe a particular mental opera, um, mathematic operation to the dollar sign. So the dollar sign means you multiply two numbers and then you divide them by two. That's an example of a new operation. They're just making something up and then saying now that's what this symbol means. So it, it seems like they did something along those lines. The research team could vary the problems to burden specific stages of the thinking process. Some were hard to encode, for instance, while others extended the length of the planning stage. The scientists used two techniques of MRI data analysis to sort through what the participants' brains were doing. One technique tracked the neural firing patterns during the solving of each problem. The other identified significant shifts from one kind of mental state to another. The subjects solved 88 problems each and the result, and the research team analyzed the imaging data from those solved successfully. 
The analysis found four separate stages that, depending on the problem, varied in length by a second or more. For instance, planning took up more time than other stages when a clever workaround was required. The same stages are likely applicable to solving many creative problems, not just in math. But knowing how they play out in the brain should help in designing curriculums, especially in mathematics, the paper suggests. Quote, so again from Dr. Anderson, we didn't know exactly what students were doing when they solved problems, but having a clear understanding of that will help us develop better instruction. I think that's the first place this work will have some impact. Now, this is really cool because obviously, I mean, next year I'm going to be teaching sixth grade. I tutor kids all the time. Just met with a college student yesterday taking a pre-calculus course. I work across a, I work in all sorts of, and in addition to that, I'm designing video courses, and that's probably the toughest challenge. And that's where I'd love to apply stuff like this into my video curriculum. Now, why is that? We're talking about, if I were to say, what, which, what is the easiest way to convey math topics or math instruction to somebody? Private tutoring. That's why it costs more, and that's why it's sought after. Because when you can say, if you're a good math instructor, you're a good math teacher, you sit down with somebody, you can usually explain a concept five different ways. Explain how to do something five different ways at, at a minimum, maybe many more in certain cases. If you can do that, it becomes pretty easy to show a student how to do something because you can quickly tell if they don't get something, they can tell you, and then you modify it. No, let me show it and let me try it this way. You don't get that, let me try it this way until it clicks. That's really nice. It's customizable, it's dynamic. Classroom little bit tougher because now you're dealing with a group of kids and if you have one or two kids out of 20 that don't understand something you can try but it's your, your ability is going to be limited again because you want to keep the class on pace you've got to and, and you can come around individually to a certain degree but it's not the same type of thing and sometimes students don't even want to say that they don't understand something they're reluctant to raise their hand or ask a question so that complicates things that barrier is down in one-on-one -on -one instruction. Now we go to the virtual world, now it's even tougher. A lot of times I'm not even communicating with my students. Maybe they'll send me a message here or there. Most of them won't. I think of the couple thousand of people that have signed up for my SAT course, maybe I've gotten 15 or 20 messages, something like that, about specific questions or asking for follow-up things. So now the only thing I have to go off is reviews. And sometimes people won't even put a message in the review. They'll just give me five stars or four stars or whatever they, whatever they end up giving me. And I don't get a lot of feedback. So it becomes trickier and trickier to really refine and improve these courses. And sometimes the suggestions are only what they see wrong. But it doesn't necessarily anticipate all the ways that the curriculum could be optimized. Just because sometimes we don't know how we're going to learn best. And so stuff like this, now we get an inside look at what the brain is actually doing, how these processes are, are unfolding, encoding, whatever it is, planning, all these different stages. So now, if we can see the duration of these stages, see how they're applied, see what the, you know, what the different triggers are for them, that's what I anticipate having some real application, some real value for curriculum design, especially in that realm. So I'm really excited, and that's why I wanted to share share this piece. If you want to read this article yourself or even check out the study yourself, I'm going to provide all this information in the show notes so you can take a look, you can do some analysis, 
maybe you can be on the lookout to see when when the applications of this research are then later published and maybe you can apply for your own child students whoever it may be and hopefully this will be of some value to you i love this stuff i'm fascinated by it so super cool for me as well as interesting that's all for today's show again these articles will be in the show notes you can check out the show notes at www.scalarlearning.com if you have any questions or comments email me at huzefa at scalarlearning.com would love to hear from you got some really exciting news Tomorrow, we have as the guest, actually, no, it'll be on Tuesday, we have a guest, Samuel Otten, okay, and Sam Otten is the host of a very, very popular math podcast. We're going to have him on the show. It's going to be really cool. We're going to talk about all different crazy math topics. It's going to be a lot of fun, hopefully a lot of tips as well for math education and success in the math curriculum. So that's it for today's show. Thank you guys so much for joining. I'll see you guys next time. Take it easy. Skiller, learning. Give me that skiller, learning. Skiller, learning. Give me that skiller, learning.